Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully that it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. It's been a while since we listed the symptoms of depression. So before we share our guest story today, let's quickly run through them. We're using a list from the DSM-5, which is a manual that doctors use to diagnose mental disorders. Ready? Maybe you want to count these on your fingers. Okay, you have depression when you have five or more of these symptoms for at least two weeks. A depressed mood during most of the day, especially in the morning. You feel tired or have a lack of energy almost every day. You feel worthless or guilty almost every day. You have a hard time focusing, remembering details, and making decisions. You can't sleep, or you sleep too much almost every day. You have almost no interest or pleasure in many activities. Nearly every day, you think often about death or suicide, not just the fear of death. You feel restless or slowed down. You've gained or lost weight. According again to the DSM-5, you may also feel irritable and restless, lose pleasure in life, overeat or stop feeling hungry, and have sad, anxious, or empty feelings. While these symptoms are common, not everyone with depression will have the same ones. How severe they are, how often they happen, and how long they last can vary. Just like symptoms and experiences of any illness. Okay, so we've just got to pause here for a second and acknowledge that when we hear depression symptoms, including sleep too much or sleep too little, eat more or eat less, it's easy to think, come on, you know, how are we supposed to work with that? So here's a suggestion that we've learned can help. Look for changes. Changes in yourself or someone else's habits. Do you normally love watching some show or doing some activity, but suddenly couldn't care less? Do you usually wake early and get a start on the day, but now you feel weighted down in bed and a shower feels like a Herculean task? We find those easier to notice than a symptom list that can seem to encompass all behaviors. And if we notice those changes, we need to caringly acknowledge them and ask, how can we support the other person? Be ready, of course, to be told that they're fine or maybe just tired, but keep an eye on them and check in a little more often. These days, texting makes that pretty easy to do. Today's guest is Alexandria Brown. She is author of You, Me, and Depression, A Battle of Heart and Mind. And after reading some of her essays a while back, 
we asked Alex to join us and give her voice to depression. Alex Brown, like most of us, was uninformed and therefore unprepared to recognize and manage depression when it showed up in her life. My depression started out as anxiety, mostly. Um, As a kid, teenager, I was always pretty angry. (laughs) Um, I'm sure my parents weren't exactly sure what was going on, and, and I don't think I was either. And so I drank a lot, and I hung out with the wrong people, and I did all of those kind of cliche acting out things that you do as a teenager um, while also battling something that I didn't realize was happening to me. Um, And also back when I was in high school, depression and anxiety, mental health in general, wasn't actually talked about. I think if I had known these things back then, I would have been able to easily identify it better. And that's one of the side effects of stigma that is really infuriating and potentially dangerous. Think about this. What if all of the things that could happen to our bodies were unmentioned and therefore unanticipated? Again, since we've all just gone through a pandemic together, what if you woke up one morning and you couldn't taste your coffee or anything else and you hadn't heard that that's a symptom of COVID? Or if out of nowhere you suddenly had a 104-degree temperature that just wouldn't break? I can tell you from personal experience that was scary enough when I did know it was a symptom of the coronavirus. In general, we are taught about, and checked for, early signs of other illnesses like cancers, heart problems, diabetes, so-called physical illnesses. But brain issues? Mm, Not so much. And that has painful and potentially dangerous or even fatal consequences. I had some issues through college as well, um, and then I uh, started getting into really dark places not feeling like myself, not happy at all. Um, It, like, affected me so much that I didn't want to graduate. I didn't want to do my degree anymore. Um, And so I just thought that I was regular. Like, not that having depression isn't regular, but I just thought, I was like, okay, this is what life is. I've been a writer for now for about four or five years, and my pieces just started getting darker and darker, Um, And they were my feelings and accurate feelings. And I was just like, what is going on here? What was going on became more clear and more serious when Alex had what she calls a breakdown while traveling with her parents. It was a very random event. I just started crying on the sidewalk and there was nothing that happened. And then I was like, "Okay, there's something really wrong here. And so from suffering from anxiety for so long that I had, like that I had been uh, without ever dealing with it, um, I was told through doctors, counselors that that anxiety has broken me down so much that it's put me into a depressive state. Um, So I've been dealing with depression now because now I can accurately define what's happening when it's happening to me. So many people fear a diagnosis, and it keeps them from seeing a doctor or a psychiatrist. Nobody wants to be told they have a mental illness. But Alex, like lots of others who've shared their stories with us, says that having a name for how she'd been feeling was actually a relief and sort of a turning point. Um, I think recognizing what it is um, and knowing that I'm not just 
a really sad person who looks for negativities in life or angry for no reason, um, it helps me kind of understand what I'm going through and gives myself that compassion that I would give someone else. I think because I'm so, I was so hard on myself and and trying to feel normal and trying to fit in and, and trying to do all these things that when I have those days or when my depression starts to get really bad, I know that I need to either talk to my counselor because I have a counselor that I've been working with for two years now and she's amazing. And, um, as well as either going to talk to my doctor about my dosage because I am on antidepressants. And so they do keep me, um, regular, uh, with my moods. But life happens, losses of all kinds, traumas, past and present and lots of other factors impact us physically and emotionally. Being able to define what's just a really rough patch in my life and what's actually a deeper problem with my depression. And I think understanding my depression better and understanding that it's a piece of me um, has allowed me to understand that when life gets really hard, it's not actually fully my depression, but I also know that I react differently to situations because of my depression. So I think it's just more so giving myself compassion and trying to work through and, and finding like those things in my toolkit that work for me to get me out of a really dark place. Alex says her mental health management tools include therapy, antidepressants, her parents and other supportive family members, and a close-knit group of friends. And... Her dog. I didn't realize taking care of something else other than myself would actually make me take care of myself. (laughs) Because I have to feed him, I have to walk him, I have to do these things for him. And so pet therapy definitely has been a big one for me because even when I'm having an anxiety attack, he comes over and he just wants pets. And Mm -hmm. I think it just takes me out of that like anxiety hold and allows me to just be there and be in the moment and realize, like kind of come back to more of reality and into the moment. Alex did not used to talk this freely about her experience, but when she realized in her words that she couldn't say goodbye to her depression, so she made the choice to say goodbye to hiding it. Remember, she's a writer. And we asked her to read a few passages from articles she's written that we really like and we'll link to with this episode. The person I am now can tell you that the best decision I've made is admitting that I wasn't okay. So I'm saying goodbye to the person I was before and embrace the new one I am now. The girl who has depression but is fully accepting this piece of her. It's a piece of her she is determined to not let win, and damn, does that feel good. It also feels good to know there are other people who get it, who have been in that same dark pit. Not that we'd wish that on anyone. But there's a really weird thing that happens once in a while when I share my story. I meet other people feeling the exact same way. I meet people who feel guilty that depression makes things feel a hundred times worse than they actually are. I meet people who feel as though while there really isn't anything wrong in their life, they just can't seem to be happy. That's the thing about depression. There's no real reason to it, to have it. You just do. So I get through the bad days trying to remember that even though my brain is telling me I'm broken or that there's something wrong with me, there really isn't. I have a little bit of a harder battle than some, but it's a little easier of a battle than others. 
You can't compare your struggles to anyone. You can't let your mental illness tell you you're worthless. You need to find the inner strength you found this far and pull from it when the days get tough. Not broken. Just a little harder battle than some and a little easier than others. That's a good reminder that our life experiences are uniquely ours, as are our experiences of mental health and mental illness. You can't really lump everyone together with depression. We're all different, and we all feel it differently. And and I think that's where some of the misunderstanding comes from with mental health. It's like, well, well, my mom had depression, and she couldn't get out of bed for days. And it's like, well, my depression actually gives me insomnia, so I'm up all the time. And our own experiences can vary, right? Bridget and I have both had years where we've gotten along just fine, with or without an antidepressant, and times we have really struggled with everything, from our daily obligations all the way to holding faith and belief that life has value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Everything. It, it, it changes constantly. Mm-hmm. I think it changes with you uh, as we go through life, because our lives are not the same year to year, so... It'd be kind of, I guess, foolish to think our depression would stay the same, too. Alex describes depression as the hardest opponent you will ever face because it just doesn't give up, ever. And because depression is invisible, Alex writes, quote, You're sick in a way that makes it easy to judge. You're sick in a way that makes you look lazy and unmotivated. You're sick in a way that makes people think, asking, But why can't you just be happy is a reasonable question. Like, this is all some choice. I've lost people to cancer, and I've also lost people to depression. So I don't really know why they don't hold the same weight. Do you ever wonder if people fear that if they listen to your story and understand your mental health struggle, maybe they'll have to acknowledge their own? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I've actually had this conversation with a few people. Um, I think a lot of people have mental health issues, but they don't want to deal with it and they don't want to talk about it because in some form they think they look weaker. I think that's just a really sad thing. And I really wish that people, even though it's scary, would listen to other stories and then relate to them. And so I think definitely it's a scary thing for people to understand your struggle because it might force them to look at their own and and not a lot of people like to look inside. I know I didn't, that's for sure. Of course, the other side of wanting people to recognize depression as an illness is that those of us with it also have to. We have to be on the lookout for those symptoms or changes that we talked about in the open of this episode and be willing to talk with a doctor to get a possible diagnosis and seek treatment if we need it, just like we would if we came down with anything else. And that might include calling in sick, taking the occasional mental health day. Because sick is sick, and our brains are part of our bodies, even if the rest of the world seems to think otherwise. And I think that's the thing when we have depression or anxiety, we're trying to do a big fix instead of looking at little things that can just help us get through the day. And I think focusing on those little things are so important because, I mean, just petting my dog or getting a fancier coffee than I usually do or texting my friends, 
those things seem so little, but they actually help me a lot. And so, I mean, when you're in a dark place, it, it is hard to get out of. And I, I definitely understand that, but I just want people to know that like they are loved, even if they don't feel like it and that there is a reason to stay in this world and nobody can replace who you are. I'm into that, Alex. She said battling something I didn't even know was happening to me. And that I just thought that's how life was. It's like, wow, does that ever bring me back? Reminds me of the phrase shadow boxing, right? It's like literally trying to fight a shadow, right? And you know, when you think like, how can you possibly do that? It's it's not actually there. But ugh, I also liked it when she said in terms of uh, being diagnosed, as much as people fear that, right, it can really be a freeing thing. She said, recognizing what it is and knowing I'm not just a sad person who looks for the negative in life. Exactly. Yes. And other people then don't think of you as that either, because that negative thing is definitely a place I go. And that's hard on everybody, not just the person who's being negative. Absolutely. But again, if we look at it as a symptom, you know, you don't get mad at somebody for coughing or get mad at somebody for throwing up or whatever. It's like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm depressed. And and when we're in it, we can't really say that because you're just like, go away. Leave me alone. You're being a jerk, you know? You're just in it. Yeah. You're just in it. But now we know that that's the voice of depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We certainly do. Cunning little liar. Asshole. <laughs> Bully. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.